Take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tonight. We are back where we left off at the end of chapter 3 last time as we continue to look at living a meaningful life. That's the theme of Ecclesiastes. We in this world, under the sun, as Solomon calls it, are ever dissatisfied with what we find, and the only place that we will ever find meaning and joy and purpose is in God alone. Of course, the answer is found in in Jesus Christ, as all of the Old Testament points us ahead to Jesus and what he would do, fulfilling um, the plan of God to bring salvation and thus to give us purpose and meaning belonging to God that we may live for his kingdom. We're going to be tonight in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we're actually going to jump across into chapter 4. We're going to begin reading here in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 16 all the way to chapter 4 verse 3. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive." But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Tonight, as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, into this first part, verse 16, in the first part of chapter 4, we're going to deal with the problem of evil that Solomon has seen in his life. If you live long enough, you will wrestle with three great truths that exist together and are nearly impossible for the human mind to reconcile, and they are this. God is all-powerful, God is good, and evil exists. And if you haven't wrestled with those, congratulations, now you have time to do so. This is commonly referred to as the problem of evil in our world. Perhaps you've worked through them before, or maybe you're going to stay up at all hours of the night thinking about this because you've just heard this. The thinking goes like this. If God is all-powerful and all-good, why didn't he prevent evil from entering the world? 
Or, if God is all-powerful and all-good, why does he allow bad things to happen in our world? Or still, is God all-powerful and all-good if evil exists and is allowed to run rampant in our world? Sin is an awful curse, would you agree? It's a horrible thing. We deal each and every day with the fallout of man's sin in our lives. In his infinite wisdom, God allowed man's sinful choice in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden to stand. And though he has provided a way for us to come back to him in Jesus Christ, we must still deal with the consequences of sin in our fallen world today. Whether it be in our personal relationships with other people, the brokenness of the world we live in, the sickness, the death that touches our lives each week, we deal with these things. And as Solomon observed life under the sun, he saw the problem of evil unfolding before him, and specifically he sees it unfolding in matters of injustice and oppression. He saw mankind behaving like animals and bemoaned the awfulness of the situation. So once again, Solomon points us to the meaninglessness of life lived without God. And the observations he makes here in the passage before us tonight, yet again, reveal to us and point to us the need for Jesus in our lives that we may live for him, dealing with the problem of evil that we continue to face in our world today. Because of evil's dominion in our world, the only hope for meaning in life is found in God. Solomon shows how evil has a grip in the world that he lives in. And I think that that's important for us to understand that that there is still a, a sinful, evil context in which Solomon writes these things uh, um, 2,900 years ago, give or take. Um, because I think t- sometimes we think we have like the corner of the market on evil in our world. You know, we say, well, I mean, it just isn't what it used to be. It's a lot worse. Okay, maybe the manifestations are a little more out in the, in the light, so to speak, for us to see, and we, we, we're, we're sickened by what we see. But understand that the problem of evil is not a 2024 problem. The problem of evil has been around since Genesis chapter 3. And people have dealt with it time after time after time. And the Word of God still teaches us today, how do we deal with that in our lives? How do we live with that? And how does that point us to who Jesus is and what he's done? So let's see what Solomon has to say tonight about these things. In verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3, Solomon tells us about evil's infiltration that he sees in the world he lives in. Because evil has displaced what is right in verse 16. He says, Moreover, I saw under the sun, and the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Now, I want to give you a little reminder of where we left off about a month ago as we looked at the first part of chapter 3. Solomon, in the first part of Ecclesiastes 3, has just made the, the case that God is the Lord of time who controls the seasons of our lives, the things that we face. And, and he said things like there's a time to do this and a time to do that, right? These pairs that went all throughout these, uh, those first eight verses there of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We 
stated that, that it, is, it is us that want to be in control, but we are not in control. Instead, we react to the things that we experience in our lives, and this lack of control should point us to Jesus, that we can rest securely in God's sovereign control over all things. And so Solomon turns from this, saying there's a, a time and a, a season and a place for all this, and now he points us to the problem, uh, this next problem in the world. And again, it highlights for us the meaninglessness and the hopelessness of life without God. And when Solomon looks around in his world, he sees an infiltration of evil that is taking place. And specifically, he points to the courts in his land where he sees wickedness. If anywhere in our world you would hope to see meaning and hope, it should be in the justice system, right? I mean, there God has set up expectations. And think about Solomon's context that he writes as an Israelite. God has set up expectations for his people on how that should work. This is what's right and this is what's wrong. And this is how you address it. God is a God of holiness and justice. And he's defined what is right and what is wrong by who he is. And he set forth expectations for what must happen to those who do wrong. And even sinful man, okay, even in our sin, we understand there are consequences or there should be consequences for violating laws that govern our land. Now, we may not always in our sinful states understand what that looks like or agree with all of that, but we understand there should be consequences for those who break the law. However, Solomon has presented a problem here in verse 16. And in the place of justice, there is wickedness. Where one would expect to find hope, in the halls of justice, evil resides and wickedness reigns. Where one, he says, should find righteousness, only wickedness is found. And one of the things we come to understand is this, that to sinful man, the laws of God mean very little to nothing. Man does his own thing. The righteous expectations of the Lord have seemingly no bearing on sinful man. That is, by the way, one of the reasons, one of the big reasons why when you share the gospel with people, you need to highlight first and foremost, God is holy and just. There is an expectation. God is a perfect God and we are broken. We need, we need to understand that there is a consequence for our sin. The laws of God have to be presented. And this is what Solomon has observed in his life, that these things, they have no meaning and no bearing. And indeed, what Solomon feels then, we continue to feel today. Those who should be rightly punished for their sin seem to get away with it. Those who should do right continue to endorse and indulge in evil and all the while, they live lives, it seems, above the law, doing whatever they please. They continue to further the agenda of evil, and it, it spreads its nastiness all throughout the systems of man. What once in our world was called evil is now called good. What once brought you shame is now celebrated. What once you, gain, you would, gain, uh, would gain you detainment or worse in life is now only a slap on the wrist or a minor setback. And what we come to understand is this, evil is the true enemy of justice. 
What does evil want you to believe? That you can sin without consequences. That's what Satan wants you to believe, right? And he's showed us that in real life, in entertainment, in whatever, in our thought processes, that, that hey, you can do this and there's going to be no repercussions to you because of that. That's what evil wants you to believe, that you can sin in anonymity, that you can sin and, and gain amnesty, that you can... That you can not have any consequences in your life. And and evil creates a system where every person can live his or her own truth and you can be validated for it. It's disheartening. It's sickening. But this is the way of man's sinful actions. This is what sin brings and what sin does. And I understand. You're like, man, this is so encouraging. It's the reality of the world we live in. It's the reality of sin. And by the way, it's the reality of a Christian who decides to go off into sin, that you face this in your own life as well. And it doesn't go unnoticed by God. Solomon continues, and remember he said in, um, in the first 16 verses, you know, there's a time for this and a time for that, right? A time for this, a time for just It was over and over in those first few verses. Well, now Solomon says in verse 17, this is evil's time, but that's time will end. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Solomon consoles himself in his heart. He rests in God's judgment. One day, God will judge, he says, between the righteous and the wicked, because there is a time and a place for everything. Just as Solomon spoke of this in the first part of the chapter, here it is again. God is the Lord of time and He will bring things about in their proper time. God's judgment will come in its proper time and place. And when it comes, it will be just judgment, it will be right judgment, it will be complete, and it will be final. What God says stands forever. Now sometimes we get glimpses of that judgment. Sometimes in this earth, we see the consequences that come out of people's sinful choices. We see people that we feel like have gotten away with things far too long get what we may say they deserve. But so often, we feel like it's not enough, right? We feel like the judgment is incomplete. We long for more. We long for God to to do that work right away. But have you noticed this about God? That God doesn't always judge sin immediately. Now notice what I didn't say. God doesn't, I didn't stop with God doesn't always judge sin, right? I said God doesn't always judge sin, what? Immediately. Have you noticed that? He he sometimes delays that judgment. And I think that there are, we should all be thankful for that. I mean, let's just say that on September 1st, 1990, God judged all sin for all eternity. How many of you would be able to say with confidence you would be spending eternity in heaven if God executed just judgment on sin on September 1st, 1990? Picking a date at random, okay? I just happened to be alive at that time, okay? I could go back further, but I wouldn't even be here, okay? Pick a date. If God executed his full and final judgment on this date, would I be in heaven with God or would I be separated from God for eternity? 
And if the answer is I would be separated from God eternity, be thankful God has not executed that judgment, right? He, he extended grace and mercy in your life to give you the opportunity to hear the gospel, to respond to him. We are all beneficiaries of the fact that God is a gracious and merciful God who is slow to anger, who does not always judge right away. He delays that judgment. He allows wickedness to continue, yes, and, and let evil have its day, and let it to even take root in the world and its systems, and, and we struggle with that, right? We want all things to be made new right now. Instead, we feel like there's hopelessness and despair that continues. But again, remember the goodness of the grace and mercy of God. If God has delayed his judgment, who else has he destined for the kingdom, right? So we need to spread the gospel. We need to go out and reach people. Because God has not said the end is here. He's continued to let these things go on. Now rest assured, the judgment will come. And those who have defied God will get what's coming to them because God has promised it. The good news is we don't have to be the ones responsible for that. God is. He's the just judge. But we must be honest about the world we live in, and we must be honest about how evil continues to infiltrate our lives and how it affects us. Solomon continues to do that, looking around at evil's effects on people's lives. In verses 18 and 19, we see the blurred lives that Solomon talks about. He says, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them to see that they may see themselves are but, testing that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. God continues to do his work of testing in the lives of men. He continues to show us who we are. He continues to reveal those things. He has created us in his image. That image is, of course, marred by the fall and sin. Mankind continues to rebel against the creator, and this evil that that mankind spreads has palpable effects in our world. Man's evil tendencies and evil's infiltration into the systems of even justice itself, Solomon says, make it hard to distinguish man and his behavior from animals. Created in God's image... Man is the pinnacle of God's creation. God said to man to be fruitful and multiply and exercise dominion over the earth. That's the call of man from God, right? Because he is the pinnacle of God's creation. He created man to have a personal, intimate relationship with God. And failing to to have such a relationship with God and instead to go off into evil and sin results in living in that sinfulness. And what happens, Solomon says, is the lines between the animal kingdom and the lives of mankind living in rampant, unchecked sin seem to blur. Animals have been bestowed with certain natural instincts by God. Now, those instincts are not 
unaffected by the fall and by sin, but they continued to carry out their basest instincts of survival and action. You ever watched these animals and the things that they do and thought, how do they know how to do that, right? How do they know how to, to go there and catch that and be in this place? This is part of their created being, their instincts that's created by God. <clears throat> Mankind, living in and, and practicing sin, Solomon says, is like these animals. What is he doing? He's living in the basest of instincts, right? He's serving sin and himself. Solomon says there's, there's no difference here. There should be a big difference in our minds between man and animals. As, as amazing as it is to watch these animals and what they do, understand animals, they don't have a sense of, of justice, right? When, when something bad happens in the animal kingdom, right, the, the chipmunk gets his tail bit off by another chipmunk, okay, or squirrel, right? We got in our backyard, we got this black squirrel with no tail, Okay, so that's where my brain goes, all right? We call them stubs, all right? So this happens, right? They don't assemble a panel of 12 other squirrels to put on trial the one who bit off the tail of the other squirrel, right? At least I don't think they do, okay? It'd be a really great TV show, right? They don't hold courts to determine right and wrong. They, they don't pass laws and uphold moral codes. Yet with evil infiltrating the justice system... Solomon says mankind is seemingly no, not much different than the animal kingdom, right? Because they're just serving themselves, just doing what evil does. Not only in behavior and life, but also in death, Solomon says. He says what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts for all his vanity. Solomon says, in, li- in death, the lines are blurred even more. What happens to people and animals? He says it's the same. They live their lives, and one day they die. God gave his breath to man to live. He's given life and sustains the animals in much the same way, and when their time is up, they pass away, and when man's time is up, he passes away as well, and man doesn't enjoy dominion over the animals, Solomon says. Instead, he's just like one of them. What a sad, bleak picture this is, right? I mean, Solomon is painting a picture of, what does he say at the end of verse 19? A picture of hevel, of vanity, of meaninglessness. Man is equated with animals or perhaps even slotted below them. This is what evil does. It reduces us to animalistic tendencies and traits. Sin devalues man. And we deal in our world with the consequences of this all the time. Why do you think things like self-esteem are such a big deal that our world talks about? Sin leaves us feeling empty and guilty. That is the natural consequence of sin. And instead of of dealing with it with the gospel, right, we deal with it with, you know what? You just need to feel better about yourself. You just need to pump up the old self-esteem and you'll be good, right? It's a false narrative. We're trying to fill our hearts with that which we'll never fill. And so therefore we seek out affirmation and Reinforcement of value, 
When the image of God is attacked and sought to be replaced with self-satisfaction, Solomon says everything becomes hevel. Value is found in this. You are created in the image of God and he wants to have a relationship with you. There's value in that, right? There's value in being created personally by God. Sin says, this is what will make you happy. This is what will bring you meaning. Evil doesn't bring you meaning to life. It robs your life of meaning. There's no hope apart from God. Therefore, man can find no greater joy, and therefore, man feels his end is no different than anything else. And we see in verses 20 through 22, there's some blurred, not only the lives blurred, but the ends are blurred. He says, all go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? If you replace justice and righteousness with evil, it stands to reason that you remove the hope of life in God as well. This is the end of it, right? The hopelessness and despair and injustice, that, that, the, the hopelessness and despair that injustice brings has effects on man's beliefs about the hereafter. And this hopelessness is seen in the look ahead to the end that Solomon says here. Solomon sees man and beast, they came from the dust, and they what? They returned to the dust. It is the cycle of life all over again. You're born, you live in the injustice of the world, you die. Solomon gives insight to this view of life where one doesn't even know What lies beyond the grave? He says there's no surety that even in death, man lives on somewhere forever. And again, I believe you can vividly illustrate this. Walk up to someone on the street. They believe in heaven, right? Which most of them say they will, they do. So, okay, well, are you going to heaven? And what's the answer you'll get most of the time? Well, I hope so. There's no assurance, right? There's no security. There's no, ask a, ask a religious person, right? A religious person who says they go to this, they go to that, they do this, they do that. Are you going to heaven? Well, I hope so. Even in death, man and beast in this thought process are not separated. If we live our lives like animals, is our end going to be any different than animals? That's essentially the point of Solomon's rhetorical questions here. Solomon makes the point here. He says, listen, nobody knows in their own wisdom what lies beyond death. Man is limited in his knowledge of these things without God. Because again, remember, what is Solomon telling us? This is life under the sun. This is life without God. And if, all, if under the sun is all you have, Solomon says what in verse 22? Rejoice in the work that you have here. Because such joy and meaning is a distraction from the harsh realities of evil. Such devotion to one's craft seems to dull the pain of not knowing what lies ahead. 
If you really can't know the future and what lies beyond your life, why not enjoy what you have? Because then you'll have some seeming meaning in a meaningless world. This is, again, the hevel of life without God. This is the depressing reality of evil. This is the awfulness of injustice having its way upon the earth. And throughout life, evil flexes its strength and might. And we go on and we see in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4, evil's might. And first, Solomon says in verse 1, he says, the unjust activities continue. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. Solomon observes now the might that evil holds on this earth. He's discouraged by the people he sees that are oppressed. There are those who have power and abuse it. We see it all the time, right? They grind others below them and under them. They silence those who oppose them. They get what they want, and no one seems to stop them. Conversely, there are those who are genuinely oppressed and have no help. There's no one to comfort them. There's no one to bear their burdens and help them. The oppressors, Solomon says in this situation, have all the power. This leaves the oppressed to struggle on while those who promote evil and serve themselves continue to get what they want. Again, this is not a foreign situation to us. In our world that we live in today, we we see this, right? There are those who abuse the systems that they're in. And they get what they want. While there are people who have real lasting needs, right? Real things going on that they can't seem to get anybody to help them with. They flounder and they fail. Now, true... There are those who who make very unwise decisions, right? And they end themselves up in situations that are going to cause them to struggle. We we can't deny that. At the same time, there are generally people who, who seem to want to do the right thing, but they just can't find any help. They want to do right, they they want to they want to succeed, and they seem to pay the price time and again for doing so. And Solomon observes such a world and again is in despair. And here's the interesting thing. Who was Solomon? He was what? He was David's son. He was the, the king. He's the king who had it all. You think in your mind, right? The king who had anything he wanted. And you look at this and you go, well, just fix it. Right? The king who had everything can't fix the problem of evil. Even if he could replace in his court system, in whatever he was observing, every evil person he found, evil would continue to propagate in that system no matter how hard he tried. Why? Because man is sinful. Solomon has seen horrible things and if he's observed it, surely others have as well. And so, He offers really an unsatisfying answer in verses 2 and 3. And I thought, the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done 
under the sun. In such an unjust world and system, Solomon envies the dead. He feels that they're fortunate. They don't have to live in this world anymore. They don't have to put up with this. Instead, they've passed on to the next life. Of course, think back to what Solomon said at the end of chapter 3. It's hard to imagine that that's better if someone's not really sure where they're going, right? Once again, this is the oppression and the horror of evil. If one thinks he is better off dead than in this earth, he's truly experienced the horrors of sin and evil. But then Solomon takes it a step further. He says, not only are those people who are dead better off, but the people who've never even been born are better off. Why? Because they've never had to live through the reality of an evil world. Those people who are dead, sure, they're gone, but they've already had to see all of this. They've already had to experience it for themselves. The people who have never been born, at least they've never even lived in that system. Therefore, to Solomon, the teacher, in his musing, that's the best life. If this life is all there is, right? If, if this evil sin is everything we experience, if we really don't know where we're going, if we really don't know what we're going to experience, if we're really no better off than animals, then it's better to have never lived at all. So I bring you to the end of this passage and I ask the question we often ask, what do we do with this, Right? We close up our Bibles, we say amen, and we go home, right? Bless the Lord. Well, I have a fourth point, okay? I want us to take some perspective. This is evil's answer. How do we answer this problem in our lives? Well, number one, how do we live in a sinful world? Like Solomon, we too have observed the problem of evil. Right? I mean, you've observed it, right, in the world you live in? You've used your eyes and your brain and put things things together? Our world is filled with darkness and injustice. What is objectionably, objectionably sinful in God's eyes, right? The Word of God says, this is sin. The world says, that's not that bad. The world celebrates it. The world indulges in it. Those who should receive judgment seem to escape. Those who are evil have all the power. Those who need help the most seem silenced. Those who would do right and stand for truth are marginalized. And you know, this is one of those great years where we have an election year in our country. And let me just tell you what's going to happen in about 10 months, okay? You are going to go probably most of us who are old enough in this room, are going to go to a, a polling place and you're going to get a sheet of paper and I'm, telling you, I'm just going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to pick the lesser of two evils probably in your life. Because I'm just going to tell you right now on that ballot it's not going to be somebody you agree with 100%. In fact, you're probably going to have major qualms with most of the people on that ballot as a Christian. That's what's going to happen. Do you ever just long to say, man, I just wish... I wish there was somebody there I could just, this is right. This is what's right, right? And that's who I would vote for. But if you're like me, you end up going, well, I mean, that one's better than that one, right? That one's not as bad as that one. 
And we just kind of pick the lesser of two evils. And in that moment, we long for God to right all wrongs. We long for hope. We long for meaning. We want to make a difference. And there again, many have striven to make a difference in our world, right? They, they come out swinging, man. They secure votes and they get into power and they say, hey, look, I'm going to change things. And then we're discouraged when, a, when in a cruel twist, those who said they would make a difference succumb to the sinful allures of power and they change their views and break their promises. That's never happened, though, in American politics, right? We cannot rest our hopes of change on people. We can't. Now, I'm not telling you not to vote, okay? I'm not telling you not to try to make a difference. I'm telling you, you cannot look to man to change things. It's got to be the work of God. We cannot expect sinful man to suddenly wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm going to make everything right. And if you have felt frustrated with, let down, or even wronged by God in regard to the problem of evil, you're not alone. You're not the first person to feel this way, and you won't be the last person to feel this way. There is a man in Scripture, his name is Asaph. Asaph felt this way in his time, and he wrote it down in a psalm which God has preserved for all of eternity. And again, I think this is one of those things that I, the more I think about it, the more like in my heart I chuckle about it, that like I've thought a lot of these things, but I thank the Lord God hasn't written them down for everybody to keep reading, right? God has done this because we're not the first people to experience this. And Psalm 73 is filled with the the observations of the prosperity of the wicked made by Asaph. I'm going to show you a couple verses here in just a minute, but I encourage you to read that maybe in your own devotions this week and meditate on it. And in Psalm 73, something changes Asaph's perspective, and it gives us some perspective. And this is our last thing tonight, this idea of trusting God in a sinful world. So, in the first part of Psalm 73, Asaph goes through and he observes, you know, here's what the wicked are doing, here's how bad it is, here how, uh, you know, it's, it's bad for people who want to do right, and it's good for people who want to do wrong, and then you get to Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17, this is what it says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Stop right there. You ever felt that way? How do I understand all of this, God? Where's me out? Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Here's what Asaph takes comfort in. God is in control. He knows the end of the wicked. He knows the end of sin. He's in control over all these things. How is a Christian to handle the problem of evil? By turning to the Lord and trusting in Him. We must realize God is in control and can be trusted. He is sovereign over even the reach and the effectiveness of evil. He stays the hand of the wicked, and at the end of all things, He will overthrow the wicked. And if they do not turn to Him, they will be cut off, separated from God forever, 
in the final judgment. So how do we keep going in our lives in a world gone wrong? Psalm 73, 26. My heart, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We look around and we feel discouraged. And listen, it's not wrong to be discouraged by what you see in the, in the world. If you are a Christian wanting to live a life that pleases God, you should be frustrated and feel even discouraged by, there's just so much sin. There's a burden, right, of a sinful world. It's not wrong to want to make a difference and ask God to, to do his work. But in the end, we find that it is God who is our strength and satisfaction. So the answer of Ecclesiastes in the passage we read tonight is this. The answer to the hopelessness and the hevel of living a life of evil is to trust in God. It is to find salvation in Jesus Christ. Obviously this is written before Jesus came, but it points ahead to the hope of Jesus Christ. And that same answer, that the hope out of your hopeless life is Jesus, is the same answer for a Christian living in a sinful world. The hope is Jesus. Sometimes we as Christians live like, well, I don't know. It's just all gone to pot, right? And I don't know what's going to happen. You know what? I don't know what's going to happen either, but I know who's on the throne. And my hope isn't in a political party or in this person or in that person. They're going to do that. I, I pray for those people, and I pray they're going to make the right decisions, right? And I pray that God's going to continue to be gracious and merciful in our lives. But at the end of the day, I know the one who's in charge. And I'm going to rest in him, and I'm going to trust in him. What does Solomon say at the end of Ecclesiastes? Fear God and keep his commandments. And let us call on others to do the same. The evil of this world should draw us closer to Jesus Christ. It should call for us to lean on him more and more. It shouldn't cause us to be bitter, but instead should challenge us to live for the kingdom. It should cause us to hope in him looking forward to his work that is to come. Jesus changes everything. One day he will rule for all of eternity unopposed. Until then, we can rest in him, live for him, and share his truth with others. And when I say things like one day Jesus will rule, I'm not saying that Jesus isn't in control, that God isn't sovereign. You notice I've clarified, unopposed. There's not going to be any sin in the eternal kingdom of God. He's going to be undisputed. People here in this world can dispute all they want. Jesus, God is still in control and still on the throne. Because of evil's dominion in our world, the only hope for meaning in life is found in God. The world is a wicked place. We are sinful people with sinful tendencies. And we live among other sinful humans who act in their own sinful interest and for their own own sinful ends as well. In Jesus, we have hope and we have answers, but we still must live day to day with the effects and consequences of sin. And that can be extremely discouraging. We, we want to see things get better, but sometimes it seems like they don't ever get better. They just kind of get worse. I get that. But I also say this shouldn't surprise us. This is what simple people do. They sin. 
God told us this would be the consequences of sin. So instead of fretting or complaining or spiraling out of control, we must trust the Lord, following him and doing what is right with his help. We need to make a difference where we can for the glory of God and trust God to do his work. In Christ, we have the greatest hope the world needs. Therefore, once again, the problem of evil is this. The, 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 the problem of evil is another call to go and make disciples. Share with them the gospel. Show them the hope of Jesus Christ. We need to engage with people on the subject of salvation and life in him. Without him, there's no hope for goodness in life. So may we trust him and look to him for our meaning in life, hoping in the coming eternity in his presence. Lord, thanks for the day you've given us to be in your house. Thank you for the word of God that we have heard today. Thank you for the songs that we have sung, for the fellowship we have enjoyed, for the friends that we have seen. Most of all, thank you for the time that we have spent with you. We pray that as we go from this place tonight, that you would continue to use your word in our hearts this week. You would continue to convict us of what we've heard from the word of God. You would continue to comfort our hearts. You would continue to grow us, to strengthen us in yourself. And you would continue to make us a light in a dark world. We are living in a time where sin runs rampant. God, we just read tonight about someone who lived over 2,000 years ago. He looked around in his world and he lived in a time where sin ran rampant. In the kingdom of Israel, where people were supposed to be living to the glory of God. We ask, God, that you would help us to see the message that Solomon, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to help us understand that we need to hope in you and trust in you and follow you and call others to do the same. Help us this week to look for opportunities to share these things with others and to live them out with your help. We pray now that as we leave this place that you would watch over and protect us as we go home. You be with those who are struggling with sickness and other things and couldn't be here today. That you would give them grace and strength. In your name we pray. Amen.